This is Josh Allen Friedman with Tales of My Dead Heroes. And this week I present what was probably the ugliest interview Lou Reed ever gave. And this was a man infamous for turning nasty during interviews. He insulted me to the delight of his sycophants and the horror of his Arista Records PR lady sitting at the table who would frequently ask to turn off my tape recorder. Reed's entourage sniggered on cue. I had just turned 22, and this was my toughest assignment yet. Let me say, first off, that Lou Reed was no hero of mine, but I'm including this episode because of the notorious interview I did with him. There was a clash the moment we met. February 28th, 1978, the Lions head in Greenwich Village. Do you realize I eat people like this up for breakfast, really? Because you, know, you guys, like you, come in here. Here's where the catch comes in for your article, okay? Go on, do it. No, I'm not doing it. I'm just saying, you know, you don't really know what you're dealing with. You, you, know? you or just in general? No, me and that you order in. You fucking kiss the ground that you're walking in. I'm even talking to you. For those unfamiliar, Lou Reed was best known as founder of the late 60s band The Velvet Underground. They were presented under Andy Warhol's stewardship, and their legend and influence rose in the decades after their harrowing existence. Reed's great solo hit, Walk on the Wild Side, was produced by David Bowie and Mick Ronson in 1972, a spoken story song about Andy Warhol's crowd. They acted aloof and tragic, obsessed with glamour while they self-decayed on heroin. At least it seemed that way to me. But they all found each other and had their own clique. Warhol was always at parties with his camera, just taking pictures of celebrities. I remember arriving early to some party when I was 18, where only Warhol was there, so I said, hello. He looked at me like I was insane. As a new stringer for the Soho News, having just turned 22 years old, my editor, John Lombardi, saw me as a streetwise kid who could write. He wanted to send me out on stories that would stir up shit. The editors wanted a Lou Reed story and told me to ask questions about Brooklyn. Why Brooklyn? Because he grew up there and the subject irritated him, they said. I didn't know anything about Lou Reed other than Walk on the Wild Side, and I dug his live album, Rock and Roll Animal. Reed brought a table of sycophants to the interview, including two band members, his Arista publicity lady and Euro-trash photographer Anton Parish. He taunted and ridiculed making sport of me to the delight of his sycophants. It was a minute later in the interview where I took what he said to be an imminent threat, so I stood up ready to fight. But I'm saying to you, I'll chew you up on any level you want to get to in a couple more. And you ought to fucking know it, man. And you ought to treat me with the respect that's due it. Because you don't know what you're talking to. Or how are you talking to it? Okay. You've got to be a fool. I want to push him a little. Well, stop. Come right. on now. Nobody's saying, okay, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. I'd go behind your back, you dummy. <laughs> now do you know who you're playing with? The interview started out innocently enough. 
talking about cassette tape recorders. You know, I think this is one of the best made. Because when you play it back over a whole system, it sounds, it sounds yeah, like it was done in a studio or something. I mean, up until that came out, I went with this. Really? You saw the other interviews, the piece of shit they show up with. I asked Reed whether he had any memories of Brooklyn, as I was told to ask. King's Highway, everybody knows King's Highway. It's one King's big King's highway. It's like, you know, the highway. You know, everything's on King's Highway. Hmm. You know? Would that be in, in relation to Coney Island? I don't have the biggest idea. Did you ever go to Coney Island when you were a kid? No. Really? No. You've got this fantasy. I'm just start agreeing with you, so. I figured maybe you hung out in pizza parlors or something. Or malt shops or something. You, you know, they lined you up in the schoolyard, you know, the kind of schoolyard that has fences. You know, wire fences. They all like the all schoolyards have. No, all schoolyards don't. Not not around the school like that, but the playground it's all concrete. And it's not like that grass. When I was a young boy in Brooklyn going to public school. During recess in the concrete playground, they lined us up by twos. In alphabetical order, Reagan, Reed, and Rousseau, I still remember the names. Did you hate it, going to school and back then? Yeah, I hated it. Yeah, you know, lunch monitor. Hey, what do you want to know that stuff for? People were pissing in the streets, like, you know, the kid had to go to the john, you just raised your hand, got out of the line with his feet of wire. Hmm. Like being in a concentration camp, I suppose. Not having been in a concentration camp, I don't know. Neighborhood was so rough that my parents had three different... Uh, I had three different ways of going to school, which is four blocks away, and my parents at one point had me chauffeured. <laughs> well, what would happen if you walked to school? you get killed. Bill Graham's Fillmore East, opened from 1968 to 71, was history's finest rock concert palace, in the perfect place and perfect time. It was in the psychedelic East Village, and something never occurred to me until I spoke to Reed. The Velvet Underground never played the Fillmore, in their own neighborhood. They weren't allowed. This must have stung hard. What are your feelings about the old Fillmore? I don't have any feelings. I never was there. Uh, anything connected with Graham, I'd piss on. Did you ever play that? No. Not a brain one. What do you have against them? A lot of things. You got a couple of hours? Yeah. <laughs> I won't print it if you don't. You know, it could be off the record. I'm just curious. At the time, my experiences with him were anything but pleasant because he's a low-life Jewish asshole promoter that I wouldn't shit on. But now, of course, I think he quite possibly could have almost become an adult. No, because I, I worked I work, I work for him since. Like, we did the Winter Garden and Thanksgiving. You know, well, he pays, doesn't he? He doesn't... Well, he, if he has it, he pays. You know? San Francisco shit has, should understand that. His karmic death should allow for that type of thing, you know, called exploitation of the great unwashed. You know? But, like, he dealt on a different level called uh, being a beatific asshole. His idea of a light show was to have. No, no, I'll stop. His idea of a light show was to have a fucking slide of Buddha on the stage. I mean, you know, that's where he. Oh, was. his light shows you hated. Well, no, 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 no. I, uh, everything, everything, everything. everything. Didn't I'm just saying, like you know, like his great advancement, man, was you walked in and he had a slide of Buddha. 
you know. Well, and he was managing Jefferson Airplane until their lead singer got knocked up and they brought in that other dumb bitch, Slick, right? And, uh, you know, fucking asshole. And so, asswipe, but Graham wanted to, you know, has us on the bill and he slips in Jefferson Airplane because he's managing. We brought in all the press and he's saying, oh, the Jefferson Airplane, you know. I know what you're thinking. But how did Lou really feel about Bill Graham? You want to hear more? All right. Uh, what are you, one of the people? Uh, suck my dick. I would like to delete that entire paragraph, okay. please, of the request of the record label. And okay. All the promoters will be glad to see him on his upcoming tour. He's a low-life cocksucker, man. Like, they put out this book about San, Fran- San Francisco groups and everything, and they're calling Bill Graham, say, that Warhol group and fucking Lou Reed and the other the lowest trash, I'll never dirty my theater with them. Yeah, right. That he can be another L. Uh, Ron Hubbard, you know, like sail his ship into, you know, the fucking bay in Frisco and kiss my ass on the way. Did you ever like time? Shut up, man. Like times change. Fucking times change, right? And there he is beating on the door. Hey, would you guys play the Winter Garden? Said, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, like, you know, that was the. So we played the Winter Garden. He sold out like that. He said, gee, I'd like to have you back. He said, wouldn't you like I waited for you? You know, because like he had Frisco locked up for quite a while, man. Now he doesn't, that cunt, you know. But like, I hold grudges, man, forever. Like, you know, I would have waited till I was senile to get him and put toothpicks in his nose. Having him gelded would have been better. Having him what? Gelded. What's that? <laughs> but let's get back to Lou's early childhood in Brooklyn. Surely the radio offered sucker and gave him a glimpse of hope. I remember ever listening to the radio. You know, till I never, I didn't listen to the radio until because there was nothing to listen to on the radio. It wasn't like one station or something where you had. There wasn't anything on the radio. There's nothing on the radio. Would you listen to the radio? I, I figured maybe you know there was like some one you rock and roll Junior Wells or something really hit. There was nothing on the radio. There really, Patty Page or something. I was with my dog in the window. You know, bro, I didn't hear nothing in Brooklyn. It's really in Long Island. When, when did you move to Long Island? When I was about 11. Whereabouts? Freeport. That's why you wear Garland Bottoms. It's true. What's so fucking funny about that? Well, his name, you know, just makes me. Garland Bottom, man. He's all right. Lou Reed thought he had me sized up, but he had no idea of my background, who my parents were. His built in shit detector was off. But let's take a trip to Long Island with Lou, the once gothic land of thousand-acre estates owned by America's robber barons, of scenic potato farms, oyster beds, breathtaking coves and inlets on the North Shore, and 125 miles of ocean on the South. Long Island, which Robert Moses finally opened up to the teeming masses, grinding it into America's largest suburb. What was Lou Reed's take? I think they call it Freeport because it used to be a free port. Yeah, I lived in right around there. Glen Cove. Oh. Glen, Glen Cove is like a punk town. A bunch of moss. Did you ever go over there? Yeah. Glen Cove is the only city on Long Island. It used to be the only city on Long Island. I thought it was one of the And Hempstead. The two of them. Hempstead, really. Neat. Hempstead and Long Island. Hempstead and like the crotch of Long Island. Yeah, it's awful. It's one big bus terminal. Well, it, you would think it's walking around outside and saying, you're in love. If you exercise, you'd probably have a big shoulder. I do exercise. It's my father's shirt. So. It's your father's builder. 
Yeah. Or if so it's your mother's bill, then really, what a strange relation. No wonder the way you are. I wear a lot of my old man's my shirts. So lately? Yeah. Why, do you live alone? Yeah, now I do, yeah. But before you didn't? Before I was living, well, I live all over the place. Where are your parents from? Glencoe? No, from New York. You said they lived in Glencoe? We lived in Glencoe for 10 years when I was a kid. My whole family. Oh, well, so you're from Glencoe? For 10 years. Same, same as you were from Brooklyn. What, you moved at 11? Yeah. From Glencoe into the city? Into Great Neck for five years. Into Great Neck? Then now the truth will out there. All from fucking Great Neck. Who's from Great Neck? Everybody. My <laughs> lawyer's from Great Neck. Like if you run into a diseased criminal mind, it's from Great Neck. It's a young Jewish boy who was raised in Great Neck. Inevitably, like, talk about reacting against it. You know, like, nobody goes to more great lanes to escape their upbringing than somebody raised in Great Neck. Great Neck, sure. Absolutely. Because it. it's a, right, right. Usually they become, you know, sadistic criminals. Well, they do really senseless rape murders of four-year-olds. Yeah, mostly junkies. Yeah, you find a little letter that says, I was raised in Great Neck. What do you expect? Hi, Ma. Totally figures. Have you ever been there? Yeah. I visited it twice. I mean, just the people I knew from Great Neck. Like, really, the very extreme drug debauchees. Uh, you know, they're from Great Neck. That or they're, you know, reformed Catholics. Well, all of Harlem gets dope from Great Neck. Mm -hmm. you know, comes on right off the boat to Great Neck. There's a place called Spinny Hill, Great Neck. Really? Over where the dope comes in. Or used to. Great Neck. Do you know Great Great Neck is like the Jewish towers? You know, like it's where the rich Jews live. That's Great Neck. The rich, rich Jews. You know. Actually, the really rich ones are all around the North Shore. I'm sure you well know. Well, Southampton. No, that's not true. No, 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 no. I'm talking about like the big couple of two and three hundred thousand dollar estates out in Huntington. The most, the most perverted of the perverse, come from yeah. and then perversely enough, go back. You know, there's some strange, you know, Oedipal drive. Uh, they go back, they go back, and you know, pay thousands to like destroy Great Neck. And they become even more fascist than where they came from, which is only fitting. Well, they right become now, very fascist criminals. Which is only who are some that you know, great Nick, who are like that. Absolutely everybody. I mean, if I didn't know different at this table, you, know, you I, I, I thought I said this is not a Glencoe mine. This isn't an Inwood mine. This isn't a Farmingdale mine. Where did you think? This smells of great Nick. You thought that when I was here. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was definitely zeroing in. So Glencoe didn't sound right. Great Neck, which would explain a lot of things, because, like, what, you're just walking the tightrope. I mean, soon you're going to do one of two things. You're going to go all the way you know, into the underground, like, a perverse section, or you'll straighten up and fly right like your parents wanted to and become, like, a very heavy-duty journalist, like the New Yorker. You know, the Is that what they want? Yeah. I'm on the staff of Screw. I've been there for four years. My I father's very proud of me. Well, he's hoping he'll outgrow it, you know, or else get him late. <laughs> Listen, you've been working there, can you? Yeah, he hasn't come on a set. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. When are you going to send over one of those? Oh, oh, oh. No, you know, and your mother no. hasn't said any Leslie pictures. My mother's a little bit. My mother's a little bit Look, skeptical. Be serious. What could be? You know, you probably picked Screw Magazine. What could offend them more? You must have thought. It must be depressing you. You haven't got a rise out of your old man. Lou, you got the whole the whole picture wrong. 
No way. I know you have good insight into no seeing way. people. No you have way. good antennas, no but you no have way. the whole... No, no, you're mistaken. You'll see time will bear me out. What kind of family do you think I come from? Prodigal, uh, you know, fruition of uh, you know, the whole trip will eventually emerge, you know. You go ahead. Just as a joke, okay? Just check if I'm right or not. Okay. Call if you're on there tonight and tell me you've accepted a position with Harper's. Now, you tell me what will happen. That, you know, you thought about More looking me. at Screw Magazine and it was really, like, beneath you. So now, you tell me, me you tell me if he falls over dead and says... I love you. Reed's sister wrote that Lou had a mental breakdown his first year of college and was brought back home to Long Island to receive electroshock therapy. He believed his father ordered it to suppress homosexual urges. His album, Metal Machine Music, in 1975, was returned by customers to record stores by the thousands and was removed from the shelves. He had a lot of reasons to be a bit edgy here. Any question I asked was doomed. What's uh, Steve Hunter up to, do you know? What do I look like, you know? Like, I'm just the Grand case, Central Station just Information in Board of Musicians who have been around. I don't, know. I don't fucking keep in touch with anybody. I don't like I haven't heard anything. Hey, he's talking about a guitarist who played with me like four fucking years ago. Like, yeah, so, so how the fuck do I know? I thought maybe you would bump into him somewhere. Or Where? Because I don't hear anything about him anymore. Call his record. He's got a lot of fans. So? So do I. Is there any uh, a nice working relationship with things like I can't keep track of everybody? You know what happened to the fucking janitor? The fuck he's the mean? first guy I asked you. Except Andy Warhol. And that'll be Lance. Oh, and exactly. Tell me. Then it doesn't work. Oh, wow, there's three. Okay, yeah. so I figured maybe you keep in touch. With what am I like? A people's gourmet snack? Yeah. Who's some uh, guys that you like today? Some musicians. Uh, oh, music. <laughs> you like Tom Waits? I, I thought I'd go out on the street and find out. You must like Tom Waits. I've never even heard him. He's ugly. Never heard of him? I've heard of him. I've seen pictures of him. He's ugly, physically ugly. So why would I want to listen to him? I believe in glamour. Have you ever heard he's him, though? rubby looking. And he's ugly. You know, what do I give a fuck? I don't care if he's good. Okay. But you're missing out on something. Is there anybody... You're missing out on something. You ought to get into a little bit. And, you I know, think you, you ought to stop, the mind, you ought to stop the mind trip a little and get into the physical trip a little and get off on the fact that if you think somebody who's smart is good, you should see somebody who's smart and beautiful. You know, well, you know, hey, you know, when you go to the movies, man, all the stars are ugly now. Like, you go to the movies, man, you want to see a fucking star who's pretty, you know? You must know. I mean, that's what all those things were about, man, because they were stars. They're beautiful. All the underground, some of those underground people, man, they were like comets. They were, and they were gonna die soon. But still, you know, they were they were beautiful. Like, who cares about Dustin Hoffman? I mean, man, you want a, a role model, man. You want glamour. Like, you know, like it's not Elvis Costello, where like if they're really smart, they gotta look like a fucking banker with fucking glasses. People call him four eyes for a reason. You know, let them get contacts. You know, it's like. Uh, if you think getting off on somebody smart or something, get off on somebody who's smart and good looking. Who's good looking? In, I think you just now. lied and you'll be, feel very ashamed when you listen to the tape that you even said anything like that. You know, who's good looking in rock now? Nobody. Is Blondie good looking? Mm, not my type, although I'm sure there are people who find it. I thought Ellie Greenwich was 
great. Donna Summers. I was in love with. I don't like movies like that. <laughs> you don't like a movie? I mean, no, I only you just said. I only you said just that. Contradicted yourself. No, I know. You know, but, looking. No, but I didn't. Lou Reed had nothing bad to say about Andy Warhol. He loved him. Andy was the best. Andy is the best. He made it all possible. He was right there and totally open to the, to everything and interested and on top of it with more great ideas than any person I've ever met. I mean, it was just working with Andy is the greatest thing that anybody could possibly do. I mean, you know that. You know, when did you first I meet him? I mean, ima- I can't wait a minute, man. I can't imagine anything greater happening to a person than to be in my shoes and walk into a scene like that and have the opportunity that I had. I mean, it was like, I mean, if there's a heaven, that must have been what it was about. I mean, I can't conceive of a better situation. I mean, it was, well, what was it? It was, was just it exactly? ecstasy, 24 hours a day. Well, all all your ideas and listen to, you know, and just have somebody make it all possible. Andy Warhol's Exploding Plastic Inevitable Velvet Underground. Playwright Vaclav Havel said the album inspired him to become president of Czechoslovakia, which he did. Well, what did Warhol do? Lou explains. I mean, it's like when we made a record, we put Andy down as producer. You know, what that meant was Andy came to the recording session and stayed awake through it. You know, because he was fascinated by it, but, you know, he produced in the sense that you know, he said, oh, Andy, what do you think? He said, oh, that's great. And the thing is, that's I all really, he had to do, I guess. To oh, but yeah, that, that's all he had to do. The thing is, there's nobody else I'd ever ask. Mm-hmm. It's like he said to us, we had a song called Sister Ray, and I had a thing called, uh, I searched for my main line, and all the sucking my ding dong. And like Andy just kept saying, we've got to make sure you do the sucking on my ding dong song. Because he knew, like we didn't know. We thought New York was, every place was New York. I mean, like we found out that New York isn't every place as soon as we set foot out of town. But none of us had ever been outside New York. But like Andy knew, and he just kept saying, like, you know, Andy is, oh, you got me, oh, 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 you've got to remember, you've got to record the sucking of my ding dong. You really, you really should do that. And so, like, you know, Andy thought so, like, Andy knows. You know, so we did, and like, you know, it took three or four years for it to quiet down <laughs> But like, he knew. Andy always knows. Like, to this day, I, I'll ask Andy. He'll say, oh, you know, what do you think? He's like, oh. She's busy sucking on ding dong. She's busy sucking on my ding dong. Andy always knows. To me, he seemed like the Peter Sellers character in the movie of Jerry Kaczynski's Being There. But what do I know? Reed made an early record around 1956. You know, and then I made a record uh, when I was 14. Where'd you record that? Bell. Uh, 48th Street or something? Whatever the fuck it is. What was the name of the first record that you did? It was so Blue, but we were gonna we were called the Jades. Did you write it? Or, huh? Did you write it or was it? Yeah, yeah, the three of us wrote it. They called me up and they said, Murray the K is gonna play your record tonight. 
I said, oh my God, you know, and like we all tuned in, like the WINS 1010 and uh, listening, 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 and finally, on comes Murray the K, and it's Paul Sherman, he says, Murray the K is, uh, you know, ill tonight, he won't be in there, I said, oh, I can't fucking believe it, <laughs> my big moment, right, and so Paul Sherman played it, and that was the only time he got played. Uh, but you really wanted Murray to hear it, though. No, I wanted Murray to give a fuck if he heard it, I wanted him to play it. So I could say Murray the K played my record when yeah. I hear Paul Sherman, who was like an asshole. Not that Murray the K is not an asshole, but Paul Sherman was a big, you know, was, you know if you're going to have an asshole, you want the biggest. Lou had all his rare doo-wop 45s and 78s ripped off by junkies. And this was in an age before the internet when you'd have to search the ends of the earth to replace such records. I'm a collector. You know, I, I had a like, great collection of that stuff when I was in the Velvets. And I got ripped off by some junkies. It just took all your records? Yeah. I'm shivered up by nutmegs. I'm sure I could probably get it again. You know? But, uh, you know, Outkiss by any nerdy, like, there's not a prayer. Or the solitaire is later for you, baby. There's no way. Yeah. No one's ever heard of it. Later for you, baby, because she made me do something that I never did before. I rushed right down to the flower store. I bought her a bushel, a beautiful batch. I don't you know something, she sent them right back. And she said, boom, boom. Later for you, baby, move it on. Later for you, baby, move it on. It's later for you, baby, move it on, move it on, move it on, move it on. To this day, man, you know, I can't remember anything they told me in school, but I can recite rock and roll lyrics for you for like hours. Hours. I know, I know all of that shit. Like, I, I used to be a real killer at it. I could get together any older person and like destroy them. It's like, I'm hardcore. You had friends that were into that also. You weren't just by yourself. No, I was by myself. It's like, really? It wasn't a clique or anything? Guys that were that? They were all out getting laid. What were you doing? I was jerking off the rock. Do you remember Little Richie Lanham? By any chance? On your radio? You want to get your facts straight. That has been one of my favorite all-time records, but that's not what his name is. He's one of my best friends. I always thought it was Richie Lyman, the brother of, uh, you know, what was his name? Not Frankie Lyman. Frankie Lyman, yeah. Frank, it was Frankie, Frankie Lyman's younger brother, Louis Lyman. You know something? That must boys. have been a bullshit thing that they did what? to play off Frankie Lyman. They must have changed his name. How could they change his name? Frankie Lyman was black. Yeah, so is this guy. No, the thing is, like, I know the record you're talking about, but it, it wasn't Richie Lanham. It was Richie Lyman. But his name is Richie Lanham. I don't care. The record I heard, I know. There's only one song about on your radio. Yeah. On Your Radio was a 1956 doo-wop hit by Little Richie Lanham. He was 12 years old, and they had him follow up Little Frankie Lyman when Why Do Fools Fall in Love became a giant hit. Richie Lanham's one of my oldest friends. We played for years in a 1980s doo-wop group, City Limits. What do I have been confused? It was On Your Radio, right? Someone must have changed his name to Lyman to, and make him the brother of Frankie Lyman. I always thought it was, you know, I believe them. I mean, I've been happy. You fell for it. It was, there was even record hype in those days. Little Frankie Lyman died of a heroin overdose at the age of 25 in 1968. And Lou Reed was honored to have seen him 
shortly before. Frankie Lyman, who, who OD'd when I was living on West 3rd Street, like, uh, and uh, we had a floor through over a pharmacy next to a fire station, and I went to the Carvel. We were living on chocolate in there. So I'm going into Carvel, and like there's a guy standing there looking very puffy. Uh, and somebody says, you know who that is? I said, You know, he looked bad. You know, he looked like a butter ball without the butter. And one week later, KO'd, you know, out for the count. And the thing is, I always remembered him standing in that car well. I don't know what the fuck he was getting. You know, I need some Something sugar. sweet, bro. I need sugar, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I felt like going out and getting him some Domino sugar. Say, hey, man, I'll color it, just pump it up. Give that man all the car belly wants. Just give him a straw and, like, you know, make it so he can inhale it. It's not like I was a big fan of his, like I felt super sorry or anything. Yeah. It's like, you know, big deal, man. Like, had, I was already to put him down, but he died too fast. I should admit here that in 1978, I was a lead guitar player with burning ambition, expecting my group's album to be released. It wasn't. We became a tax write-off. Reed was able to hone in somehow and push those buttons as I was embarrassed to even admit I was a journalist, having to write about music when I saw myself as a musician. Oh, what kind of question is that? Oh, you're a journalist, that's right. Tell me this, don't want to apologize. That's not saying not really a whore. You know, it's like, you know, let's make our minds up. You can't masturbate the whore and they're just, they're putting it in. You say, now, wait a minute, like I was only faking. Like, if you want to answer the question, you have to own up to being a journalist. If you're a journalist, turn your tape off and I'll answer everything. For these two hours, I am. Well, Really, I mean, some of us aspire to a higher calling. <laughs> and we're not reverting to Catholicism like Santayana when he was on his deathbed, you know, in a nunnery, like, you know, converting at the very last minute. Santayana, he's the one who came out and said, there is no God and there is his mother. And they were moving right along, even faster. Never got into that. Why not? You didn't take philosophy well, in college, Hegel, the Hegelian synthesis? I didn't go to college. Anything I learned came from the streets, on the job, from my father, and from books. Anyway, I just gave you a real insight into the animal, <coughs> to the animal, really, into the animal's record. You know, like, uh, that's one of the stories on the album. Right. Oh, well, you haven't heard the album. Are you talking about the new one? Yeah. No. I haven't been able to get a test pressing either. Oh, I have a test pressing. You ought to go listen to the album before you ask anything else. Well, I have the album next door. And even though you're sincere and all the rest of it, not only don't you know what you're talking about, you don't know what you're asking, and you're just doing it as a joke. And so consequently, you usually get bullshit joke interviews with me, and I just play jokes with it. But Who would you like to be interviewed I'm by? saying you ought to be ashamed of yourself and that you ought to you know, fucking kiss the ground that you're walking on. I'm even talking to you because like, I'm just being nice. And you're going to do a garbage article. Well, and you're going to pay the penalty of death and hell. But I'm saying to you, I'll chew you up on any level you want to get to in a couple more. And you ought to fucking know it, man. And you ought to treat me with the respect that's due it because you don't know what you're talking to or how you're talking to it. And you want to get on the stick. And now, well, I mean, I'll, go, now I'll go right back in and play Lou Reed for you. Because that's what you want and that's what you got. Gone. Okay. You, are you Lou now? Mm-hmm. Let me just ask you uh, about punk rock. There we go. Which, uh... 
There we go, said Reed, throwing up his arms and cutting it off again. After he agreed to cooperate, my next question was about punk rock. This was one of my first assignments for the Soho News, which was an important break, and here I was sinking. In the years since, I've seen interviews on TV where Lou Reed turned nasty, and I thought, you know, Reed was right. The interviewer seems like an idiot. But most interviewers, especially on morning TV or radio, are idiots. So was I also an idiot? I'm from PS192, which is which I mentioned at the end of Coney Island Baby. I said, Senator, it's when I have all the kids from PS192. Later, I find out from everybody that only in New York City do they have PSs for public school. And that out in the great unwashed wilderness, like in Akron, you know, where all dope dealers go to die, like they make their fortune in New York City, and they go to a place like Akron where they buy a building and have like the first 10 floors, like all theirs, and they invent you know, they come up to me at the end of the show and say, why don't you come see our house and I go back and they've got a table like from there to here, a big dining room table covered with coke. You know, first you think it's a tablecloth, you walk in and say, they say, oh, sniff your initials on my table. They say, this only happens to Harold Robbins. Are there any writers that you like besides Harold Robbins? Harold Robbins wrote one good book, I think, called Stone for Danny Fisher. Which I thought was great. Gore Vidal wrote a couple of really good books, I think. The best of which was a collection of short stories called A Thirsty Evil, which I thought was you know, really fantastic. John Rishi's City of Night, I thought it was really great. I thought his second novel, Numbers, was, was absolutely incredible. Everything since there. Hubert Selby's last exit to Brooklyn, I thought was really fabulous. And, you know, I'm picking them all in that genre, so like I won't seem out of character and say, well, I also like little women. You know. Were you aware of Nelson Aldrin before you wrote Walk on the Wild Side? No. Did someone tell you about it? Uh, they were going to produce it as a play, and they got in touch with me to do the uh, music for it. Finally, we came to the showdown. I thought he and his guys were going to attack, so I stood up ready to fight. You bring along four guys. Four people with you, so no, right there. Whoa, 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 stop. It, uh, stop, stop. Makes it stop. a little harder for me. Stop. No, because you feel intimidated. I thought it was just No, but it threw me off a little when I walked in with three people. They really hit it to Guess what? Let them try. You got it. Stand up and you're out. Okay. Moving so you right under, along. So you understand that kind of thing. Moving right along. Okay, Lou. You've now impressed nobody, so we can end the interview. Lou, and you behave yeah. yourself. No, I behave. No, but now your interview is over. But look, bye. Lou, come on now. I don't play really games. I don't play games like done that. Done this far, we might as well finish it up. No. You know, I brought two hitters in to get you. I'll show you. Go ahead, my Santa. You gotta be kidding. If I went after you, I'd go behind your back. I want to push him a little. Well, stop. Come on now. Nobody's saying, okay, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. I'd go behind your back, you dummy. Whoa, lighten. <laughs> now do you know who you're playing on? Really, man, what do I need? Really, you got to be kidding, Tinker Toy. I'll show you. Go ahead, I'll take on the house. Listen. Oh, okay. You win. Walk in front of me. <laughs> really? And I live next door in case you want to find out later. Mm. Come on out. Come on out. We'll send. Now that the tape's off, let's get this straight. 
<laughs> well, what's, the gentleman is, is trying to do the job, trying to do his interview. No, but I interrupted the question he asked. His assignment is to interview you, so why don't we just get on with it and then we read that. Well, frankly, I didn't, I re, you know, you're right that I did come unprepared because I don't know anything about you. I just got well, your records. Why didn't you say that in the first place? And uh, How well, would I know that? Because I'm not familiar with the whole well, Why didn't you say that in the first place? Well, I didn't think it was necessary to say Well, now you found that it was. Do you feel better knowing that? Or did you expect me to be... No, it's not that I feel better knowing that. I don't, a fan I don't think you're as big an asshole as I thought before. Well, maybe little by little I'll start to reduce my uh, no, asshole no. status. Here. No, no, your asshole status was caused by the fact I thought you knew nothing about your subject and that you were ill-prepared. Right. Or I was prepared, prepared. yeah. I've okay. never been unprepared for an interview. However, okay, I'm not familiar with all of your work. Okay, so you're not Until prepared. two days ago. Well, if it makes a difference, then you're not prepared. prepared. enough to do, to do the interview. Well, obviously I'm not, just of the way you're reacting. This is a personality but, uh, profile more than a music piece. Wasn't supposed to, it wasn't so supposed to be about music. Uh, I just want you to know, you I'm, good I'm, I want you to know I'm a person, so you stop fucking around with me. I didn't think I was fucking around. And you were? No. Well, because it was like I could have had. You should have enough. I could have had a fucking tape recorder reel me off what you were asking. You got. You got. I don't. I've never once in my. Let me talk. No. Let me. Never once in my life. Then you can fucking. I've never once in my life. Tape an interview. If you want a personality thing. You got it for real. For real. For real. I swear to God, on my mother, you got a for real, honest to God, real interview. I've never, once, I've never once put anyone down and made anyone else, made anyone out to look like a king-sized asshole I'm not saying in an interview. And I didn't understand. want you to come off that way, but if you're really that way, then I'll, I'll put it down that way. What, verbatim what's on the tape? Well, well the that's kind of what stuff I'm saying that you said. They Why might you? not even want to run a piece like that. I will I take know. the chance on looking like an asshole if you don't edit that tape. I won't edit it. You reprint, reprint it verbatim, I'll take a chance of looking like an asshole. You got a great interview. Then. We were at the Lion's Head Inn at Seventh Avenue South in the village. Lou wanted me to come up to his apartment next door and listen to his new album, Street Hassle. After all that went down. So I did. It was a big loft living room with new video equipment, a TV monitor, and large speakers. I sat down on the couch while he put on his album. He showed off his new state-of-the-art 1978 video equipment and trained his camera on me. He insulted me a few more times in front of his friends, then said, Do you realize the screen presence you have? Showing me what he recorded in the viewer. I'd love to see that footage today. Can I play him that one track, be, you know, as we get done here? I'll just leave him into the Do you have time to do that? I got nothing this time. Okay. Don't you? Boogity, 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 shoot. You've got a great interview view there, man. You really, really do. But, you see, I'm sort of new at this game, so I've never... Uh... Well, you've got one of the best interviews I've ever given. Really? Really? I don't usually bother to get into... I, what do I need an argument with you for? I could have... Use your head. I could have sailed through that. I didn't have to... Why Why would I... Why did I stop it dead and antagonize you? What's wrong with you? 
you know, you don't need it. I don't need it. It doesn't make any difference to me. But it did, you know, like, you, know, you gotta understand, it's reason. I stopped you there now. Reed called me at the office of the Soho News the day after the piece came out, but I wasn't there. The cover story was titled, Ugly People Got No Reason to Live. I never saw Lou Reed again. He passed away in 2013 at the age of 71. This is Josh Allen Friedman with Tales of My Dead Heroes. Visit our website at blackcracker.fm. We'll see you next time.